a security breach in a popular tech company, the war between Amazon and FedEx heats up, and an exciting interview with Maricela Bodrero, a career coach and awesome boss lady. Welcome to Working Girl Talk. Hello, welcome back to Working Girl Talk. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're new to the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you're not, thanks for tuning back in. We have an awesome episode today. I'm so excited. So first, we'll dive into the news today. I have two stories. I want to get right into Mary Sell's interview. So let's dive into those and then let's dive into the interview. So first up, a scary story just in time for the holiday. <laughs> this week, TechCrunch reported a security researcher found over 1,500 unique email addresses and passwords associated with Ring doorbell passwords on the dark web. Ring is that video doorbell company that Shaq does the advertising for. They always have commercials. A lot of podcasters advertise for them. Apparently not this show, as you can probably tell. <laughs> um, but so like a really popular doorbell app. I, I even think they were on Shark Tank, actually. But TechCrunch reported that the list of passwords was uploaded on Tuesday to an anonymous dark web text sharing website, commonly used to share stolen passwords and illicit materials. The dark web is just a bad, scary place. A security researcher found all of this info, which actually can be used to log into and access the cameras associated with a ring doorbell, as well as the time zone and the doorbell's location, such as driveway, front door, all the different views. The researcher did report the findings to Amazon, who owns Ring, the brand Ring, but Amazon asked that the researcher not discuss their findings publicly. I don't know how it got out then because we're talking about it. <laughs> so TechCrunch reported that, and as of Thursday, they said the dark web listing was still accessible. Hopefully it's coming down now. Hopefully soon, if not already. Crazy enough, this was actually the second headline that Ring made this week. BuzzFeed News actually came out with a similar report, finding that over 3,000 Ring accounts were posted online. No one knows how the data was exposed for either of these events. I know you're like, oh, she's telling us this sad story right before Christmas? I got a ring for somebody? Or who knows, maybe you're getting one. But the bright side is, is TechCrunch actually did a nice thing and they reached out to everyone that had a stolen email on the list and told them, hey, change your password, do the two-factor authentication, and um, which is a good rule to follow. So if you have a ring, even if your password wasn't stolen, I feel like that's a good idea to do. So definitely do that. Put on that two-factor authentication. So then if anyone tries logging into your account, you'll know and you can be like, nope, and no, it's not you. Security breaches happen, especially when you're in a major tech company like this. So hopefully it doesn't continue to happen and we all just make a few changes to our passwords. Something interesting that they reported was that all the passwords of the emails that were listed on the dark web were really easy ones to guess. So maybe that made it more easy for whoever this hacker person was to get them. Not sure, but a good tip to follow as well. Make your passwords very complicated almost complicated where you can't remember them. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm always having to change passwords. Okay, so next story. A shipping story because it's the holiday season and I know you're probably waiting for some packages still. So here is the shipping war scoop. Apparently there's like been a lot of things going on in this industry for the past year. And we're going to talk about it because who knew? To preface this, I guess um, 
I'll start off with Amazon and FedEx have had a rocky relationship for a while. So CNBC reported this week that FedEx had a fiscal earnings slump this year, specifically in the second fiscal quarter in their earnings. And shares of FedEx slid 10% on Wednesday, and the company has lost just over $4 billion in market value shares since Tuesday's close on the stock market, and stock is down about 9% year-to-date. Okay, so lots of sad stuff going for FedEx. They've been trying to make strides to amp up their business with seven days a week delivery, which is cool. Um, but CNBC says that they blame the economy, rising costs, and one specific competitor that ha- they've lost a lot of business from. The CEO confirmed that that specific competitor was Amazon. This is where it gets a little spicy. So CNBC reports that FedEx announced plans in August to end its ground delivery contract with Amazon. It also halted is its express U.S. shipping contract with Amazon in June. So they've been making a lot of like, eh, we're taking it away Amazon moves this year. Earlier this week, Amazon, it was Amazon's turn to fire back and they announced that it will temporarily prevent third-party sellers, which actually make up 50% of the total merchandise sales on Amazon, so over half, from using FedEx ground and home delivery services for prime orders. So they're preventing people from using these third-party sellers. Amazon said it made its decision based on FedEx's poor delivery performance. That's a quote from the CNBC article. And to make sure shoppers would receive their packages in time for Christmas. Ooh, the company didn't indicate when it would resume the service. Yikes, Amazon. So things are heating up between the two. For sellers, they made a good point that this kind of throws a wrench into their business, especially right now when it's so busy with sell, um, with buying and shipping on Amazon. It's Christmas. So they were forced to find new carriers to ship, which may be new costs and kind of craziness. So that's kind of crazy for all those sellers. But interestingly enough, um, CNBC reported that Amazon has gradually been trying to distance itself from FedEx and UPS by trying to build up its own delivery network and system. So eventually I'm sure that they won't even want these outside shipping carrier companies. And the the last thing I wanted to throw in here, they had a quote from the FedEx CFO and it read, if you think about all the positive things we've said and that we're seeing as we get into 2021, we'll start lapping Amazon. So he specifically called out Amazon. So the shipping wars continue and we'll see. Hopefully we get all our Amazon packages on time. And this is so funny because I feel like I saw a meme the other day on Instagram about different um, shipping companies where it was like, uh, the USPS, it was like, where we don't even know what your package is, like, of course. And then Amazon, it was like, hey, we already have your package. In, it's in your bathroom. Go check. We're already inside. Like, it's just like funny because it's like all the shipping companies are so different. But we'll see how this goes. Maybe FedEx will actually ramp it up. But Amazon is still like, so far it's king, especially with that prime service. I don't know if people will miss FedEx that much. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully we get all our packages on time. And now for our working girl topic of the week, an exciting interview. Maricela Bodrero spent the last decade as a corporate recruiter for big brands like American Express. She also worked for the largest global recruiting company that served major brands like Bank of America, Rolls Royce, Nike, all these awesome, huge companies. She led and managed successful recruiting programs that hired over 100 hires in one year. She's worked with senior managers, C-suite level executives, 
all kinds of positions. She has sat in thousands of interviews and salary negotiations and realized there was a specific method to which candidates were landing immediate interviews and offers. This specific method is what inspired Mary Sella to start packaging that exact formula to help women get jobs, get out in the job market, make awesome negotiations, and get raises. Maricela went full-time as working for herself as a career coach. In today's episode, we talk salary negotiations, how to ask for a raise, job interview mistakes, and so much more. Maricela is a boss, and I'm so excited to have her on the show. Please welcome Maricela. Um, perfect. Okay, so we have Mary Sella here today on Working Girl Talk. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for coming. Yes, thanks for having me. So excited. So first things first, I just want to start off with what's a career coach? Oh, such a good question because <laughs> a lot of people, there's so many different elements to it, but career coaching really is focusing on taking someone through the transformation and facilitating it, that part of it through reaching a goal. So for me as a career coach, my job is to help facilitate someone taking them through the process of being able to help them find a job faster and generating more interviews and translating that into more offers. So that's the focus that I have. Mm -hmm. A lot of career coaches have different elements within careers that they focus on, but my specific focus is helping corporate women with landing interviews and offers at a faster rate, working at Fortune 500 companies and startups. So that's my focus. Perfect. And now you guys can see why she's on the show, because that's like exactly what we're all about here. (laughs) So I want to hear about you first, before we dive into some of the more like tips and basics. Mm -hmm. I want to hear about you. How did you get into this? Like, like, is this something that you always thought you would be doing or did it kind of come later on? Yeah. So basically I, it's been very much an evolving process for me. It, so my background is I spent about 10 years in corporate recruiting and I worked for some really big companies. I worked for American Express. I worked for a staffing company where our clients were Nike, Rolls Royce, Bank of America. We had some really big clients that we were staffing their, their, the positions that they had open and really facilitating and managing those processes. So I've had 10 years of recruiting experience. And after I had my daughter, I really was trying to figure out, okay, what's going to be my next move? Do I want to go back to corporate? I think when you become a mom, you just all of a sudden start to have these questions of what's your next step. And I knew I always eventually wanted to have a business, but I didn't know what that looked like. So for me, I was thinking, well, how can I take the skills that I have and that I've basically have gained throughout corporate and how can I apply it to an actual business to help women? And I wanted to specifically help women because I knew that so many women were struggling with their careers. And if I was going through this whole process of trying to navigate my career, I knew that there was a lot of women out there too that were probably struggling with the same things. So that's kind of how I fell into it slash evolved this business into focusing on career coaching specifically for corporate women. Mm -hmm. And how long have you had your business? So I, for the last, from 2018, since the beginning of 2018 Mm -hmm. is really when I really got like 
focused on this is what my business is going to look like. Honestly, within the last six months, that's when I really have been all in. And when I mean all in, like I'm committed full time. Mm -hmm. So the beginning of 2018, I was still working. Um, I was still working at as a corporate recruiter for a company. And as I was getting halfway into the year, I decided to take the leap of faith and go all in into my business and work full time in it. Mm -hmm. So basically within this last year. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And we do have a lot of like business owners and side hustlers that listen to working girl talk. So can you describe what that transition is like, like taking that leap? Like, is it scary? Like what (laughs) do you wish you would have known then that you know now? So I think one of the biggest things that really is a key factor is mindset. I think for me, if I did not have a, the right mindset to really take the leap of faith, I don't think I would have ever done it. And what I mean by that is, so I have some mentors that I really look to of people that are very successful and really just taking nuggets from things that they've learned and getting myself around other high level, high performing people and learning from them. And I feel like when I've been able to learn from other people that have really successful businesses, it's been able to just be a game changer for me. And that's something that I I coach a lot of my clients on too, is like, you have to realize that what gets you here is not what's going to get you there. Mm -hmm. So you have to really think about like, if my goal is to have a business, so how can I get there? What does that look like? Well, I need to get around other people that already doing what I want to do mm-hmm. and I need to start looking at what they're doing what was their path and really putting a strategy to it so I think mindset and really thinking through of okay this is possible there are people out there that do this but also too I think taking a leap of faith in the sense of I'm very big on my faith and to be honest, it really was like a come to Jesus moment of God saying like, you need to do this sister. Like you need to do this and you need to do this now. And so I think a lot of, a lot of it has been of faith, but also getting really clear on what my strategy was going to be to exit corporate too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So what, like in this first I guess almost two years now mm-hmm. of doing this. What's like the biggest lesson that you've learned as a business owner? Getting really clear on what problem you solve. Mm. I think that a lot of times when we're starting a business, we think we have to do all of these things when really the reality is you're probably going to be a solopreneur for a while. You're not going to be able to do everything well. You're just not because you're one person, especially if you're still working full time. There's no way. And for me, I wasn't necessarily at one point I was working full time, but I was also a mom, too. So I had the responsibilities of parenthood, working and trying to get this business off the ground. And the biggest lesson I learned is I had to simplify the more simpler my business could be and the getting clear on the problem that I solved and articulating that and building my content around that. That has been the game changer for me. Wow. I love that. Yeah. And it's so true. There's that quote. If you're trying to speak to everyone, you're really speaking to no one. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I'm speaking to a very specific person. It's a specific problem I'm solving. I'm building content that 
addresses that problem and that's it and until my and it's not that I don't want to eventually be able to do other things in my business it's just right now it's the season I'm in Mm -hmm. a lot of times we look at these entrepreneurs who are you know they're they've got a YouTube a podcast a link you know they're like all over the place right they've got all of these awesome different channels of marketing and they're doing all these different things in their businesses which is great, but they also have a big team behind them helping that, right? And they've also built their business for the last 10, 20 years. But we don't, like, we just see the highlight reel of what they're doing. We don't realize all the work that went behind it. Yes. So that's something that I feel like a lot of times we lose focus when we're just getting started. Right, because it's so easy to compare, but it's like, oh, you didn't realize that that person has been doing this for 10 years or they do have some sort of extra help or you don't know and like it's just different phases of yep. where you're at so exactly start from where you're at <laughs> yes yes awesome so I want to dive into a little bit about what like you actually do like what your, your bread and butter right here so do it. because I did on my Instagram story this week asked uh-huh. a few questions to my audience like oh like do you have any questions for her and Number one was raises and negotiation, which is actually what I wanted to talk to you about. That's why I talked, like, reached out to you in the first place. Okay. So I want to start there, and then we'll go all over. So, okay. Um, I want to talk about first the negotiation because if you don't have a job, then you don't have to ask for a raise. So we'll talk about the negotiation part okay. first. So, and I've seen you put some content out about this, which I love. So let's start with that question: the okay. what are your salary requirements? How do we answer that? Okay. So the biggest piece when it comes to salary negotiation or preparing for asking for a raise, anything around money is you have to be prepared. And I'm not talking like prepared, like you're writing down a couple of things that you want to talk about. I'm talking like you need to come to the table with a case ready to go. I always tell, I always coach my clients, when you are walking into a salary negotiation from an offer, you need to be walking into it like you are an attorney walking into, like you're ready to go to battle for your, you know, with, for your client. Like you're, you've got your case ready to go. And that's going to look very, it's going to look very, it's going to look different for a lot of people depending on what industry you're in. But the basics are the research, really looking at what does the market pay for this role? And it's specific to your location, right? What does the market pay for the experience that you have, the education that you have? What is the location, you know, based on what region you're at in the country or outside of the United States? Like what 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 does your specific market pay for these skill sets, right? Mm-hmm. And then you also have to evaluate too, like what do you also need too from a financial perspective, right? Because you can do all the research, but also you got to make sure that that number aligns with what's going to also be comfortable for you and your family and what like what kind of income goals do you have? Mm-hmm. So really looking at that and building a case for it. Some of my favorite websites are payscale.com. That is probably my number one go-to for a lot of people that are just scratching the surface with wanting to do research. Mm -hmm. That's probably one of the my favorite websites to use to really do some thorough research. Okay, perfect. That was going to be my next question. Like, where do we look? So I love that. I'll put that in the show notes for you guys because that that's very helpful. Yeah. So when you do like, cause I know sometimes it's different at different companies. If it mm-hmm. is more of like a corporate, a larger company, it probably is yep. more succinct, more of like a 
actual like production, I guess. But at a startup, sometimes it's a little casual. So how mm-hmm. do you approach the more casual conversation? I guess where maybe it's just over the phone or in an email or mm-hmm. any like more of like the casual startup side of that, if there's any difference at all. Yeah. Uh, actually, I have a good example. So one of my clients recently who started a new position, she started a startup and the startup has less than 15 people, very early stages. And so they didn't have a lot of data to go off of. Right. Mm-hmm. But the one thing about startups is, is that they know eventually they're going to have to get processes in place for this. They know that they're going to have to they can't just willy nilly salaries. Right. They have to put together some type of parameters around it. I think the best thing that you can do for startups is compare, you know, compare apples to apples. What are some of the other startups in the area potentially, you know, what are they paying for some Mm -hmm. of these roles? That's the reason why I also like Payscale is because it also goes off of the size of the organization too. Very cool. So you can actually put in what size of company you're at. Mm -hmm. And I believe there is an option where you can put like how long the company's actually even been around. Mm -hmm. So that can also give you some good data points too, if you're looking at it from a data perspective. From a, just with startups in general, and really it's just salary negotiation, you're dealing with people at the end of the day, right? So you're dealing with people. My you know number one tip is don't throw out the first number always have them come to you and that's what Mm -hmm. my client did she they actually never talked about salary Uh so they literally never talked about salary until the job offer was pretty much presented Mm -hmm. and the the startup was the one that put out the number first Mm -hmm. so you always let them put out the number first and then from there you can kind of be able to go from there based on what the number is Another really good trick that I tell people is to always address the person with their name, their first name. Mm -hmm. If you use their first name, if you say like Abby Mm -hmm. and you put in, you know, whatever your sentence is, addressing people with their name, it tends to shift the conversation a little bit. Ooh, I Mm -hmm. love that. Some golden tips. Hopefully everyone's taking notes here. Um, So I liked what you said about not presenting the number first, because I feel like sometimes we panic in yes. that it's like oh uh and like you just throw out a number and maybe it's not what you wanted or yep. you don't even know like I think the biggest struggle like from personal experience and from talking to other people in my community is mm-hmm. that you don't know like will what I say affect me getting the job like yep. if it's too high oh we don't want her if yep. it's too low is that like look weak or like yep. it's it's so hard to tell well I think that's also though a limiting belief that a lot of women have because I will say right now that from being in being a recruiter for so long Mm -hmm. and being on the other side of the table with these negotiations I will tell you right now men have no problem with negotiating salary I know that's a very generalized statement but honestly most men that I have done salary negotiations they have zero problem with negotiating their salary it's almost expected to be honest with women it is actually, I honestly could count maybe a handful of actual women that I've hired where they actually did negotiate their salary and they actually went to bat for their salary. Mm-hmm. And it was something I didn't notice. And so going back to your question, it's, I think a lot of times we have these limiting beliefs that, oh, well, they're going to pull the offer or they're going to think, you know, we're so concerned about what they're going to think. And in this situation, we have to worry about what is it that my skill sets, 
what is it that they're worth from a market value? What does the market pay? What does the data say? And knowing also too, bringing to the table, knowing what it is that you're going to have to do in this role. So talking about startups, in startups, you know you're gonna probably be working a lot of hours everyone's going to have to roll up their sleeves and do work. So that's going to require a lot more time, right? A lot more energy. So you have to also think about that too. What number are you willing to take in order to take an opportunity where it might be something where you're going to have to wear many hats? What's the price tag for that? Mm -hmm. And communicating that to the manager saying, listen, we both know that this role, it's going to be beyond just the job responsibilities that we talked about in the job description. It's mm-hmm. going to be beyond that because it's a startup and there's going to be, I'm going to have to wear a lot of hats here and I'm willing to take that on. But I also want to make sure that that complements the salary that I'm also going to be receiving for this role. So this mm-hmm. is also why I feel this number makes sense. Do you know what I'm saying? So it really shifts yeah. the conversation. That is awesome. And it's crazy because that's like simple, but I've never thought about that to actually mm-hmm. address that because people in like my circle that I've t- talked to, it's more like, oh, I know it's a startup and like they're just getting off the ground. So maybe they can't pay me as much, which now looking which back, is, that's a crazy mindset. Which is a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. It's a lie. We think that, but that's not the truth. And the thing is, is again, you're dealing with people. And one of my clients who, like I was saying earlier, she she had just started at a startup and she waited till they threw the number out to kind of see where they were at with their baseline for for compensation. It was interesting because she did exactly what I had just explained to do. And another thing, the reason why you also want to wait till they throw out the number two is you also want to see where where they're coming from in a sense of they're throwing out the number first. So it allows you time to respond to that and be able to use all of these different avenues that I just mentioned and using some of these tactics to really be able to address like building your case for why coming back to why you think that number makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think it's I think it's I think it's a limiting belief. I really do, because I think there's perceptions that startups can't pay or because they're bootstrapping it like they're not going to be able to pay and in in reality yes there's going to be differences but you have to remember that once you once they throw out the number first you wait till that because then they can get more bought into you if you talk too early on about salary it changes the dynamic in the process because they're not sold on you yet remember like once you've gone through the all the interview stages the hiring manager is more bought into you. They're more likely to come to an agreement for what it is that you want dollar wise. So people forget that sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the situation where they ask you in person, it's the first time they've brought it up and they flat out ask, what are your salary requirements? Mm-hmm. What can you say to get them to present a number first? Okay. The thing is, is we don't necessarily want them to present a number in that situation. When they ask us, what are your salary requirements? I always say rule of thumb is to give them a range. Give them a range. And again, that's also based on the data that you've already done. You've done your research before you go. You've done your research. You want to make sure you have a clear understanding of what is it that I truly am wanting in my next role and my next move? So when you can come up with a range and do some digging around on what the data says and really looking at the opportunity and saying, okay, yeah, what would be 
a range that would make sense for me in this role and presenting that and giving I usually I usually coach my clients to do like a 10k range just to kind of feel out what their response is and honestly I think that one of the biggest problems that we sometimes get into is we pretend like we can't say no like if the company comes back and they're like well there's no way we can do that then maybe it's not the right opportunity for you. And that's okay. Like you are not right for every company and every company is not right for you. And that's okay. So I think sometimes we forget that and we think like, wait a second, like why aren't they going to pay me this? Like what? And it's like, it might just not be the right opportunity. It's time to shift and move on to something else. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we forget that. We're trying so hard to make it fit when it's like, if they're not willing to budge or if they're going to bat an eye at that number and they're just like not sold on that then it might just not be the right fit for you right I think we get so caught up in like trying to because it's you're meeting with new people maybe like trying to impress and please everyone too but really it's about you and I think I read in Forbes once and it like really changed my perspective where it was like you're interviewing them as well like thinking about it it's both sides yes absolutely I think we just forget that we forget that we're not right for every opportunity like we're just not and that's okay it's okay to say well you know what unfortunately like I think that's not going to really fit for what I'm looking for at this time so I just want to be really transparent you know Mm -hmm. if things change great but again that's you know it's very situational and it kind of depends on what situation you're in because the truth is is if you take a job where you're not happy with the salary are you really going to stay there probably long term no because you're probably going to be frustrated that you're not making the money you would like to make and so I think that it's important to just kind of rip that band-aid off really from the beginning and realize that there's a whole sea of other opportunities out there for you this one didn't work out okay move on to the next right I love that and then specifics I'm all about specifics Mm -hmm. so that 10k range yeah some people if like they are thinking in the range mindset they're like oh they're gonna pick the lowest out of the range so I should make that what I want my salary to be so right. what do you like what are, what is your opinion on like what your is should it be like you're comfortable in anything in that range are you thinking of like okay. oh what are they thinking like okay so with the range what I always do is I give them a range based on okay so let's say that your target number is let's say that you're going for a job that you after doing research you know is relatively around hundred thousand dollars a year Mm -hmm. for salary okay and if you know that for you if you're looking at an opportunity and you're saying okay i am literally not willing to take this job for less than 100k like i'm just not Mm -hmm. so for you that's going to be your baseline right that hundred thousand dollars you have no business saying 95 or 90 because remember you've already gone through this process of no I'm not going to take this job for less than that so like stick to that you know don't like don't downsell yourself on that part right and stick to that hundred and then give them that range of a hundred to a hundred and take a hundred and ten based on what the comp packages are because remember we don't know yet what their benefits are we don't know what their bonus structures are those are all things to take into consideration remember we're just talking base salary and a lot of times this is another thing that I think would be really helpful for listeners is to understand that when you're evaluating an offer you're not just looking at the base salary you're looking at the whole comp package like what does everything look like out the door 
So if you're just early in the stages and you're just talking about base numbers, then look at what is like, what is that baseline number for you and stick to that. Don't Mm -hmm. go down from there. Stick Mm -hmm. to that. Give them a 10K range and then just go from there based on what other information you can find out of what the full comp package would be. Mm -hmm. Yes. Agree. Love that. And then let's dive into once you have the job. Yes. Raises. Okay. So how, like, when is it a good time to ask? Mm. I had a few questions about how do I ask for a raise when I'm so nervous about what to even say? Like people are really nervous about asking. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Fire away. All the things. Okay. (laughs) So the key thing about raises is you have to, number one, you have to time it right. So you can't go in and it's not going to, I can't say you can't, but I think you have to be strategic about it and do what makes sense. So it doesn't make sense to go in and ask for a raise after you've already done your annual review, after budgets have already been slated out for the new year. I think you've kind of missed the boat a little bit from a timing perspective. I'm not saying it can't work out, but you have to look at the timing. So for example, If you know your company's fiscal budgets renew a certain month, right, you want to kind of go two months before that and start planting the seed and having these conversations with your manager or your leader on what next year is going to look like, because that manager is going to probably have to go to their manager and say, hey, we're going to need an extra 10K budget to make sure that we get Sally Smith you know, a raise. Mm -hmm. We talked about it. I'm comfortable. I want to submit it in the budget, right? Make it easy for your manager. Don't make it hard for them. When you make it hard, like you're making this whole process hard. So make it really easy for the decision maker to say yes. And part of that is timing. So really timing it well is great. As we're obviously recording this podcast now, I know a lot of companies are going into the new 2020 year and a lot of them release new budgets in January and February, right? So this is an amazing time right now Mm -hmm. to have these conversations. If people are not having them yet, you should. A lot of, I'm sure a lot of people are having annual performance reviews, things like that. These are great times to start planting the seed and having these very transparent conversations. So number one, timing. Number two is again, going back to what I said about making sure that you have a case for what you're asking for, right? Looking at what does the data say of what the ranges are for the for the role and also looking at, you know, I've been at this role for a year or I've been at this role for three years, etc. And the range for a role like this as you move up in more experience says this. This is the number that supports the ask. Also, you want to come to the table with having two to three really good highlights of things that you have attributed to the team. You know, you don't want to just come and say, this is what I'm asking for based on the data, but give your manager, you know, some really key highlights to say, you know, I was able to implement this on the team and this was the outcome. You know, this was these were some of the things that I did on the team this year that have been very valuable and produced results or generated revenue or generated new customers or helped decrease our costs by this like coming to the table with actual highlights of things that you've done Mm -hmm. to help the team is really key because again you're you're making it easy for your manager to go to their manager and have a case ready to go Mm -hmm. we want to make it an easy yes Mm -hmm. so i would say those are really the key things when you're asking for a raise in terms of 
how you need to start preparing for that conversation. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love that. I'm like, oh, like taking notes. Like yes. it's amazing. Um, so for somebody who's so nervous about doing that, okay. do you have any tips on the mindset? Like how to get like psych yourself up a little bit? Yes. So two things. Number one, sometimes we have to do things that we aren't comfortable with and we just have to do them anyway. Right. There's going to be things that we're, we're nervous about and we're uncomfortable with, but Remember, I always tell people, it's a five-minute conversation of discomfort for a lifetime of, of, of benefits, right? Of years of benefits. Mm-hmm. So realize that it's minutes of discomfort, but think about the rewards. Think about the benefits that you're going to get from being able to up your base pay, right? Mm-hmm. More money in your pocket. So think about that and remember that. Just remember, it's a couple minutes of discomfort. It's just a couple minutes of discomfort. So I think that's one thing. I also say number two is practice. Like literally sit down with somebody and practice. Like maybe it's practicing with a mentor that, you know, is in your industry or someone at a different company that you're just is a very trusted advisor. I'm really big about having mentors and having advocates and people that you can really go to with these conversations sponsors I always encourage people like have sponsors within your company or outside your company but have people that you can actually practice this conversation that can actually give you real-time feedback on how you're actually presenting this information and practice with people that are in leadership positions that get approached these questions all the time so practicing but also like I said having the mindset of it's discomfort for a few minutes for years of benefits. That's how you really are going to overcome it and just do it. And I think once you do it and you see something come to fruition, it builds your confidence. Mm -hmm. So you feel a lot more confident in doing it next time and then keep continue to do it in your career. Awesome. Love that. So helpful. I'm so happy. So kind of going back to the beginning, I guess, of the job search journey. Yes. What's the one mistake you see that like, it's like, oh, I always see that mistake. Like, What's the big mistake people are making when it comes to job searching? Applying to jobs online. Ooh, can you dive into yeah. that? Because I feel like now with like everything digital, we have LinkedIn, mm-hmm. like that's probably the most common way people are doing it. So yeah. I want to hear yeah. why. Why is this our mistake? So <laughs> a lot of people think it's, well, it's kind of a two answer. So one is people spend way too much time on trying to come up with a perfect resume and focusing way too much on their resume and also applying to jobs online. So what I mean by that is big job boards like Indeed, LinkedIn, Glassdoor, ZipRecruiter, all of these big monster job boards, they have millions of people on them, millions. And companies are literally, when you apply online, you're, you are literally going against so much competition to where it's literally like not even funny. You probably have a better chance at winning the lottery. That's the truth. And the reality is, is that companies are going to more likely pull the trigger on interviewing and offers from people that become referrals. So referrals are four times more likely to get job offers. So what I mean by that is someone that makes an introduction for you to meet with a hiring manager. So if I work at a company and I have a friend that is someone that I can vouch for and say, this person is an amazing fit for the role, you know, hiring manager, I think you should talk to him. 
that manager is going to pay attention more to that person, right? Because an insider is saying that this person is credible, right? So that person's bypassing all of the online application like mumbo jumbo, right? Mm-hmm. And the manager is probably going to have a bunch of candidates just sitting in their inbox of candidates from Indeed, ZipRecruiter, LinkedIn, all you know, all these online platforms that are producing all of these candidates. But the manager is going to first go to who are the referrals and who are with who are the people within the company that potentially could be a fit for the job. They're always going to go to that first because it's less risk, right? Mm-hmm. All of these candidates that are sitting in an application folder and there's thousands of them, the manager like they don't know them. They don't they don't know who you are. They don't know anything about you. Like you have no they're not a it's not a trusted source yet, right? So a lot of people think that applying online is the more applications you put out there, the more results you're going to have. But really, your focus needs to be more on networking. It needs to be, how can I become a referral? How can I become a trusted source to get in front of that hiring manager? Mm-hmm. Applying online, you're not going to be able to do that. You are, you're going to be a small fish in a big pond, and you're, you're not going to really have results with that. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. I love that because how many times do you apply for so many things online and you you never mm-hmm. even hear back? Not even yep. like a rejection. You just never hear back at all. And yep. because you're sitting in the pile with hundreds, maybe yep. thousands of other people. Yep. Yep. That. And a lot of times these jobs, when you see them online, they actually have been opened already for like a lot of times. It's so funny. I'll have I'll have uh, people that I talk to and they'll be like, yeah, I applied to this job. And it was a posting that I saw on Indeed literally yesterday, but that job has technically already been open for like a month. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't been, it just, it's been barely posted on Indeed, but it's, the manager has basically been interviewing for people right. literally for like a month already because they've already been discussing it with their team on mm-hmm. they're going to hire someone. They just haven't physically gone on Indeed and maybe posted it. Right. Or maybe Indeed hasn't pulled it from their careers page quite yet. Right. So the technology actually is lagging in this whole process it is. Mm-hmm. So the best advice I can give is when you are when you are an insider and when you can actually work with someone that makes decisions at a company, you are going to be a part of that first group that they consider for interviews before they even go into a application with thousands and thousands. I mean, Google receives 50,000 resumes a week. Wow. A week. So people always tell me like, so competitive at Google. Like I've been applying like crazy. I never get interviews. Well, yeah, because they get 50,000 candidates a week just from online applications. I mean, to have to go through that many resumes, there's just not enough like resources to go around. Right, it's like impossible. Right. Mm -hmm. So applying online is definitely probably the worst way to find a job. Wow, I love it. We're just challenging all those like status quo. Yes, I love it. And it's interesting to that point because I know there are some jobs too where it's like legally they have to, like if it's a government job or an education job. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they've been sending that like, oh hey, can you apply to this or like to Mm -hmm. outside people? Because like to your point, sometimes you see it and it's like, oh cool, it's just got posted, but it's like you have no idea what the backstory is. Yeah, like they could be interviewing people like for the past three months for that. And I'll see people, they'll be like, 
yeah, I applied for it yesterday. And then I literally today got a rejection notice. Like what the heck? And people think it's their resume or they think something Mm -hmm. happened. And I'm like, no, it's probably because they've actually already had a whole pool of interviews happening behind the scenes. And they probably made a job offer. And then the recruiter probably went in, hit a button and basically hit a button that rejected all the candidates that were just sitting in there. And so on, as from the candidate side, you're thinking, I literally got rejected in 24 hours. How did this happen? But it's because activity has been happening for two months already. You just didn't know, right? How could you know, right? Because you're applying online, so you don't know what's happening on the inside. So that's, and I just know because being a recruiter, I did this so many times where literally we would have three or four candidates that we were interviewing that the manager brought in through their referrals. Mm -hmm. And we would interview them We'd make the job offer and then literally I would go in and I would hit a button and we had to post the job because to your point, Mm -hmm. for compliance reasons, you have to have a job posted and for auditing reasons too. But literally I would go and I hit a button and that button would just reject literally like 5,000 applicants. Wow. Mm -hmm. It happens every day. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's the norm in recruiting. Right. So that's why the job searching process is so broken is because people Mm -hmm. don't really know like what it truly takes to find a job they think they know but they don't right and that's it's kind of nice though to hear that because maybe people who out there who have been so hard on themselves like it's like it's not personal most like probably most of the time especially when you've never met them like yeah don't take it too hard I guess yeah do you run into that a lot like people feeling kind of like down oh yeah Oh yeah, actually job search, a job stress and really career stress is the number one reason why people go to therapy. It really is. But job searching, I mean, I talk to people every day, you know, when we talk about, are they right for, are they right for my signature coaching program? And every day it's always, I've been job searching for like a year. I've been, I had, I just talked to one woman the other day, she's had 40 interviews and no job offers. (gasps) I've talked to one girl the other day. She's lived in interviewing or she's been job searching for close to a year. I mean, that's a long time and doing all the right things. Right. I had one girl. She's like, I paid a resume writer like 500 bucks to like redo my resume. I've been applying to 20 jobs a day. Like what's happening? Mm -hmm. And it's it's not that that you're a bad candidate. It's not that you don't have great skills to bring to an organization. You just haven't honestly been the, taught the right way. And honestly, most people haven't on how you truly are going to land jobs at some of these big companies and mm-hmm. startups and really land some of these awesome opportunities. Mm-hmm. So it's all about having the right strategy in place. Yes, mm-hmm. love that. And then almost the last question because okay. I know we're wrapping up here. But okay. I saw recently you posted about resumes and you said... Uh-huh forget the one page resume, which is something I've always been told. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to me about that? Like, tell us like, what's the deal there? Cause I'm sure a lot of people have been told that too. Yeah. There's a, it's a very like controversial thing in the sense of a lot of people get very mixed coaching on that and it's confusing. But I will say is that here's just how I address that question. A one page resume is really not going to give me a lot of depth to someone's background. Mm-hmm. A one-page resume, I think, makes sense is if you're maybe you're a recent college grad and you don't have a ton of experience, maybe you're applying for an internship. Mm-hmm. At a very beginner, beginner level stages of your career, maybe a one-page makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. But as you get further along in your career where you've had a couple years under your belt, honestly, a two to a three-page resume is, ex- I think, is very normal. 
I mean, I have yet to really run into when I've when I've hired candidates at the level of more senior positions, management level. I mean, we rarely got one page resumes, Mm -hmm. rarely. They're usually like two to three pages because all the experience and the things that you're focusing on talking about in your resume, that's going to take some length to try to cram it into one page. That's just impossible. Yeah. And then you're cutting corners. Tiniest font ever. Tiniest font. You're cutting (laughs) corners. You're like, okay, I'll just put like maybe two bullet points on each job. Like it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And so you're really, you're cutting yourself short and you're cutting your experience and things that you want to talk about. Cause Mm -hmm. I, a lot of things I talk about in my coaching program is I talk a lot about being very results oriented on your resume. And in order to do that effectively, you're going to have to have a lot more information on your resume than a one pager. It's just not enough information. Right. Love that. I hope, yeah, we need to get out of that mindset. And a lot of the time too, I think people are hearing that in college. So you, you think that like, oh, this is how it is, but they're probably just referring to like right now and you don't have as much experience, but yeah. I think we take that and it's like, oh, one page forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I know a lot of colleges teach that, that one pager methodology. And I think it works when you are barely just starting out and you don't have a lot of experience to really speak to. But as you progress in your career, that methodology is just totally different. And mm-hmm. I would say two to three pages is extremely that's like the norm Mm -hmm. that's very normal so that's okay for people to do that for sure love that you're putting some people at ease right now who have probably been stressing about one page i'm glad yeah no that's (laughs) definitely like okay to do awesome so then last question before we dive into the rapid fire round okay you we've talked a lot about mindset and i know that because i do a little questionnaire before we do the show and you talked about your morning routine i want because i feel like a lot of especially as like a working woman really busy schedule how you start your day is so important so how like what's your morning routine like how has that changed everything for you okay so i think the biggest key thing that people have to remember with morning routine is that a lot of people think like well that's you know you have to get up so early and oh that's like so much work blah 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 Mm -hmm. but you have to change your mindset about a morning routine a morning routine is about you it's about you having your time we complain so much that you know I'm always working or I'm always you know I'm you know I've got responsibilities at home with the kids and like you know being a wife and like I'm always giving 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 right so when you think about it when your day starts without a morning routine you're going right into other people's agenda, right? You're going, I got to go to work, right? You got to serve your clients. You got to, you know, you're going right into all the things that you have to do for other people. Mm -hmm. And what a morning routine does is it allows you the space to wake up in your day and do something for yourself. And so when you change that mindset of saying, no, I'm actually getting up and I'm actually creating space to do me time. Mm -hmm. And me time could look different for everybody, okay? But my morning routine pretty much starts anywhere between 4.30 and 5.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And it's typically about an hour, okay? And it doesn't have to be that way for everyone. Like, it could be 20 minutes. Sometimes my morning routines, depending on the day, it is like a 20, 30-minute morning routine. Mm -hmm. But it needs to incorporate you time. And that could be on a spiritual level. It could be on um, just having quietness, doing something for yourself. Maybe it's reading. Maybe it's writing. Maybe it's working on your side hustle. Like if you're working a corporate job and you're not finding the time to work on your passion projects, Mm -hmm. maybe it's, you know, that's the time that you're doing it. It's you time. That's what the focus is. 
Um, It could be physical activity. Again, it's just to get you on the right mindset to help you really charge the day. So you're like, Mm -hmm. I have my cup filled. Now I'm ready to go give. Mm -hmm. You can't serve from an empty cup, right? So I'm really big about that. And that's what my morning routine has really been able to do for me, Mm -hmm. especially as a busy mom, like, especially because as soon as my, as soon as my girl's up, it's like, go, 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 go. And so it's been nice to have this built into my day to where I'm getting my time first and I'm taking care of Maricela first before she has to go take care of everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I think that's such a good reminder because there's just so much like our phones, computer, like we just have so many distractions, TV all the time. Mm -hmm. And especially our actual obligations as well, like children, family work that it's not like we, it's hard. Like if you don't probably take the time, you never will do it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I'm really big on too, in your morning routine, you shouldn't, when you first get up, don't look at your phone. Don't check Instagram. Don't check social media. Don't check emails. Like that whole hour or that Mm -hmm. whole 30 minutes, that is you time. Mm -hmm. When you are looking at social media or you're scrolling or consuming, you are just naturally going into looking at other people's agendas, other people's things. And that's not what a morning routine is about. It's about you and only you. And Mm -hmm. that's it. So that's something that I think is a big key to it too. Right. Good reminder. Cause that's hard for me. Sometimes I just feel like, Oh, I just want to like scroll, check Instagram. But I yeah. think it's so true though. Like I've noticed when I do that versus when I don't, you, you just have like more of like a calm about yes. you too. So yes. love that. Okay. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. We'll start with an easy one. Okay. Morning person or night owl morning person hands yes, I mean, down makes sense for you teen yeah. yes morning person hands down I'm too tired by like six seven o'clock I'm like done for the day my day is not complete without Ooh, my starbucks refresher strawberry acai refresher no water that Ooh. is like my signature drink she i have it right here it's a right podcast now. room so my day is not complete without that i love it the best advice i ever got Ooh, best advice i ever got I would have to say invest in yourself. Yeah. I think that's the best advice I've ever got. Invest in yourself and lean into, lean into your purpose, your why. That's honestly, I feel like there's so many things like nuggets to pull from that. But when I drill it down to those simple things, that's Mm -hmm. really like the best advice I've ever gotten. Love. Favorite quote. Ooh, Common Sense Isn't Always Common Practice by Brendan Burchard. Oh, I yes. love that. I've never heard that. that. Such a good quote. Yes. Yes. That's that cool. Quote. Favorite resource, like podcast, book that's helped you that you'd want to share with someone? So actually going back to Brendan Burchard, High Performance Habits, amazing book, changed my life this past mm-hmm. year. That was really the book I think that helped me change my whole mindset of how I operate my life and really how I navigated motherhood in the thick of it with having an infant and a toddler and that book is what helped me get rid of the fear and really go all in in my business Mm -hmm. so I would say high performance habits by Brendan Burchard um anything Rachel Hollis I love she's amazing so I would say those Perfect. Love. I need to read that. That sounds awesome. And last one, I'm inspired by. I'm inspired by seeing other women do things that scare them. I am. 
because I feel like when you see women do things that you know that they're scared of and you know that they have fear in, but they're doing it anyway. I'm like, you go, sister. You go. You do things that you like. Seeing that is just like it empowers me. It really does. It really does. It just like fires me up because I love seeing women getting out of their comfort zones because I think we've been so conditioned to play safe and play small. So when I see women like playing big and they're playing a bigger game, it just like, it like lights my heart, my heart on fire. I love it. Love. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Loved having you. Where can everyone follow you? Um, even like hire you to help them? Yes. All that. Yes, yes, yes. So I have a Facebook group. It's a free private Facebook group. It's called Job Searching Made Simple. You Love. can, um, you know, you can just add to the group and um, come join us at the party there. It's a women's only group. Um, also, too, you can also, if you're job searching and you're trying to, you know, get some more help and you want to see if my signature coaching program is a fit, I do free discovery calls with people. So you can just send me a DM on Instagram um, or Facebook and I can certainly connect with you there, too. So amazing. And then your handle is just your name. Yep. At Maricelo Bordrero for Instagram. Maricelo Bordrero for Facebook. Same with LinkedIn as well pretty simple just my first and last name <laughs> love it keeping it simple for us awesome well thank you so much Maricela. love yes, having you thanks for having Yay. me Thanks for listening to my interview with Mary Sella. How awesome was that? Remember, Working Girl Talk listeners can join her free private Facebook group called Job Searching Made Simple. Definitely type that into Facebook. Go find it. If you're a Working Girl Talk listener, you can get right in there. And as a listener of Working Girl Talk, you can also book a free discovery call with her. Visit her website. Sign up for that. And if you do any of these things, make sure to tell her Working Girl Talk sent you. We're so grateful to have her in I can't wait for you guys to check out her website, her social, all that good stuff. Before you go, my Friday favorite is obviously Mary Sella and her business. Definitely go check it out. I can't say it enough, especially at this time of year when it's such a great time to ask for a raise and maybe you're looking for a job in the new year. So this episode is perfect for that. Remember to subscribe and give Working Girl Talk a five-star review if you haven't already. And if anything resonated with you from today's episode, make sure to share it with a friend or someone you know who may benefit from it. Especially, as I said, it's the new year almost. It's maybe people are thinking about getting a new job, making negotiations, just making some changes. So this episode is perfect for that. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all of you. I'll talk to you next week.